This is a podcast from 3RRR, 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. The real story of the ocean depths begins where you left off. Wonders that defy my powers of description. The secrets that are mine alone. Again, it's three minutes past nine. You tuned to 102.7, three triple R. Time for this week's edition of Radio Marinara. We are the program about all things wet and salty. My name's Bron Version. And my name is Dr. Beach. How are you, Dr. Beach? I'm very well. Community Cup Day. Excited. Football. Victoria Park. Yeah. Yeah. Ace. Good cause. Good people. Kind of good footy. Kind of good footy. Great footy last night. Speaking of footy, Melbourne, God, demons. Oh, I didn't watch it. Oh, I did. I was busy. They're all coming out of the woodwork now, including me. I don't want to talk about footy after um, what happened on Friday night, by the way. But let's talk about Community Cup. Well, there's been yes. a lot said about Community Cup. I thought it was sold out, but I was just very pleased to hear five minutes ago on this very radio station that perhaps it is not. So if you don't have tickets yet, you can get online, get down there to Victoria Park. Things start at about 11 o'clock and... Indeed, as you said, Box Wars. Oh, Lots box of good wars. bands. Yeah. Whole new, you know. And football. Any any time you go to somewhere different where it's been at a, an established place for a long time, you know, we're all experiencing this for the first time, having Community Cup at Victoria Park. I'll get over it. All of us. <laughs> no, 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 no. This isn't a complaint. I'm just saying it's going to be a really interesting experience. No, no, I'm not complaining at all. It's going to be, it's going to be interesting. It's going to be great. It's fantastic. I Get never part. said it wasn't. I'm just saying it's going to be really interesting. You know, from a player's point of view, haven't played there before. From the organiser's point yep. of view, haven't organised there it's before. It's all very exciting. From the punter's point of view, haven't watched it before. So it's going to be really, really good. Get and down there. Raising money for Recklink, which is a fantastic cause. Mm. 
Let's go through the day's program. In just a moment in studio, we're going to be joined by John Gemmell. He is the CEO of Clean Ocean Foundation. He's going to be talking about the National Ocean Outfall Database. And if you have been listening to this program for a long time and regularly, you might remember, I don't think it was John who we spoke with, might have been. Um, but we did speak with someone from Clean Ocean Foundation um, a couple of years ago when this was being uh, developed. It has been developed and it's now been released. And we're going to talk with John about it and uh, what it's all about, what the database contains what it means and uh, where it might go from here. We're then going to cross to Terry... Uh, no, we're not. We're crossing to Dr Surf for a surf report. Fantastic. Mm. And then... And then we've got Ben Sanders in the studio. Ben Sanders is from Zoos Victoria and he's going to talk to us about a very important campaign which they have up and running now, which is to ban helium balloons. Because as we might know... Well, we're going to go through this in details with Ben... Very bad, not only for the environment, but all those animals which are in the environment, or many animals, particularly those in the marine sphere. Mm. Ben's going to walk us through that, and all the people who are now on board with that campaign. It's, um, yeah, very interesting. Mm. It's um, it's something that we've spoken about a lot on this program. The need for balloons, the need for helium balloons. Do we really need them? Yeah. Maybe we should start to do something about it. So that's a good thing. It has similar feeling, actually, to um, what happened with polystyrene a few years ago it was just it was there it was convenient and been used for a long time and then suddenly we started thinking about it is this really necessary that's right things change that's right and then uh speaking of moving on then we will um cross well cross to you (laughs) two meters from me um for a life's a beach but we're also going to um get terry allen on the phone she's our regular dive reporter and she's just come back from a uh an incredible dive trip by the sound of it in the Philippines. So she's going to talk to us a little bit about that, what diving in the Philippines is like. I look forward to that. Yeah. Very much. Got some weather. Give us some community cut weather. Jason Evans, who was on before, said it was going to be 18. I, um, as as we went out, I, I doubted no that. Dogs. <laughs> you You can go now, Jason Evans. He's, he's looking for his smart suit up there. God. Uh, um, yeah, it's not going to be 18 today. It's going to be 14 degrees today. And... Earlier on the week, I was a bit worried, as I'm sure many people were looking at their weather forecast. They said there was going to be you know, a significant amount of drizzle, rain, perhaps a few millimetres today, but it's looking pretty good. There might be a lazy mill or half a mill hitting us late in the afternoon, but apart from that, I think it's going to be pretty good. So 14 degrees, partly cloudy, medium chance of showers, most likely in the evening. There you go. Nice. Uh, winds northwest 15 to 25k per hour, increasing 25 to 35k in the morning, then turning west in the middle of the day. Looking ahead to the rest of the week tomorrow, possible shower 13 degrees, 14 degrees on Tuesday, partly cloudy. We've got lows of around 7, 6, 6, so not quite as cool as this previous week. Um, not much rain ahead, less than a millimetre every mm. day. So it's been dry, continuing to be dry. If you're heading out on the water, you'll be interested to know what's happening with the tides uh, at Point Lonsdale, which, of course, is the heads of our very fine Port Phillip Bay. We have high tide at a little bit before 1pm this afternoon and low tide was at 5.30 this morning. I'm not going to mention the surf because we're going to get surf Dr Surf on the phone later on. Nice. To give us a, a live report on the peninsula as opposed to from somewhere like Revolver. <laughs> remember, remember Robbie years ago? <laughs> we had a new surf reporter. I'm never ever going to forget we ran, we Robbie. Rang, we rang Robbie. We thought he'd be, you know, on the cliff of bells or something and there was all this murmur in the background and, where are you, Robbie? I'm at Revolver. I'm at Revs. I'm at Revolver. We, we didn't have Robbie You've been back, up all we? night, Robbie, yeah. <laughs> it was great. 
That's that's just the joy of live radio, Dr. Beach. Yeah. Also knowing your, um, knowing your talent. Um, a couple of quick news items and then we're going to hear some music. Uh, now, Tim O'Hara, who was in studio and then we crossed to him uh, when he was on board the um, – oh, God, I've forgotten the name of the boat. Boat. Enormous ship. Anyway, leading this wonderful expedition um, out into the deep seas. So they've come back and they've been having a look at what they've been collecting – uh, and what they've found is uh, about a third of what came up, or more than a third, have never been found before, never been identified. New taxa. Taxonomists go wild. Oh, yeah. It's yeah. amazingly exciting. So um, very, very exciting. So they've got some great names already. Um, so Mysterious Depths, a team of uncovered, I'm reading from their press release, a gorgeous red coffin fish with a fishing rod on its head, so it sounds a bit like an anglerfish, giant anemone-sucking sea spiders, um, a blobfish. <laughs> That's a scary thought. <laughs> Jesus. There's one coming through the door. Ah. Yeah. A blobfish. Actually, this is giving us uh, all sorts of stuff to talk about with Tim when he comes in. A blobfish, the cousin of Mr Blobby, voted the world's ugliest animal. A short-ass feeler fish. Now, really, how are you going to top that for a name? We've got some good names for radio. Short-ass feeler fish. Um, Flesh-eating crustaceans. I want to be the short-ass feeler fish. That's it. Zombie worms. A cookie-cutter shark with teeth arranged like serrated edge of a steak knife. A herd of sea pigs. Um, Ocean's vacuum cleaners, a spectacular Ferrari red crab with large spines, bioluminescent sea stars, carnivorous sponges, carnivorous sponges, tripod fish that perch on stilt-like legs and a multitude of microscopic critters. Um, There's also this faceless fish, which sounds super creepy, a deep sea fish with no visible eyes and a mouth on the underside of its head. Mm -hmm. So a bit like a a flounder, I suppose, but but with the eyes completely disappeared altogether. Or an alibut. Or an ala, but yeah, well, they're all part of the same group. So there you go. Uh, we are very uh, investigator. That was the name of the ship. So yeah. really looking forward to. Um, we'll catch up with Tim in the next couple of weeks. We'll get him back in studio and he can talk us through what they found. Brilliant. Let's listen to some music. And um, as Tim mentioned, in Vital Bits, and thank you very much, Tim, for Vital Bits, and Andrew Minga for Soulful Bits. It was all Beautiful. a bit of a rush in the end. The music that we're playing today are all from uh, acts and artists who are going to be performing at today's Community Cup down at Victoria Park. Jen Cloer is going to be performing and uh, wanted to play this one from there because there's some lovely sea references here. This is from Jen Cloer in the Endless Sea, Deadwood Falls 2006. The track is called Spring. Spring was my honey Dodgy Jen Cloa track. Well, not really dodgy. Well, the track was fabulous. It was. The track it was, was fabulous. It was yeah, uh, yeah. my burning of it onto a CD, a d- a which dodgy burn from uh, iTunes. So um, apologies with that. But anyway, we are going to move on. Uh, now, a year or so ago, we brought the news from Clean Ocean Foundation that work was about to get underway to develop a national oceans outfall database, a system of listing and ranking ocean outfalls and sewer systems by the impacts of what they release to the ocean. The first database is now complete with a community report just released. 
released. To tell us all about this database, the first report and what it contains, we're very pleased to welcome from Clean Ocean Foundation Chief Executive Officer John Gemmell. Good morning, John. Thank you. Thanks for the opportunity, too. We'll just get you to move a little closer to your microphone. There you go. Now, you've come a long way today. You've come all the way up from Bass Coast. Yes, yes. We've come down the coat, down, down to the big city yeah. for the day. Well, thanks for coming all this way. That's it's right. great to have you in studio. I thought we might start by talking a few minutes about ocean outfalls. So, for the uninitiated who, you know, maybe might be aware of an, an outfall, but not really sure about what it is and what it does, what are they? What goes through them? Well, well, they wouldn't be alone not knowing what an outfall is. It was it's even part of the the research to actually define what an outfall was was a was a relatively complex area mainly we focused on domestic outfalls and they're the ones that are classified that they have sewerage or treated sewerage in them uh, and processed water uh, then you can differentiate that there's what we did is there was uh, coastal outfalls which are what, and that divided into ocean outfalls which are specifically on on coastline so to speak or there's outfalls that discharge into what we defined as saltwater environments or estuarine environments. Uh, so that sometimes that got a little bit trickle, tricky because, of course, if you have a river uh, and you're discharging into a river but it's very close to saltwater, well, that does have some impact. So there's a few grey areas there alone. Uh, then on top of that, there are outfalls that we have, we're not looking at at this stage. We'd love to do it down the, down the track, but, of course, like everything else, it requires money. Uh, and that is uh, industrial outfalls falls. Uh, for instance, there's one on the, uh, the co- near the coast where I come from, or there's two actually. There's, uh, there's uh, one from uh, a dairy that used to be run by South Gippsland Water, but now it's run by the dairy itself. And then, of course, there's, a, say, for instance, there's the desalination plant on Wanthaggy, which is also technically an outfall. And then there's all the other creeks and stormwater drains, etc., etc., that discharge. And they're, they're the main problem, main issues around, say, for instance, Port Phillip Bay. So, so are we also including stormwater in this category? Unfortunately, at this stage, not unless you get an instance of where you have bypass events, which is it's it's when you have a heavy rainfall and whatever um, sewage treatment system can't actually handle that. Uh, and then you get what they call a bypass event, where uh, it's a lot of lot of lot of water, rainwater, so it can be diluted. It just depends on where it pulls and where it comes from. Uh, and we're hoping to sort of expand into looking at that as well. Uh, but it's just once again one of those things where we're at the stage where we're doing a lot of bridge, bridge building and establishing networks to get information that was previously not available to the public. Mm. That's quite a key difference, isn't it? And when you're talking about um, sewage that goes out through an outfall and stormwater that goes out through well, a stormwater pipe, I suppose, is that ability to treat that effluent before it comes out? Do we call stormwater effluent? I guess not, but, but there is some ability to control what goes out through an outfall but not necessarily through a stormwater outlet. Well, the, it, it, I think the, it largely depends on how much money is available and how historically whether or not it's been an area that people have been concerned about. Uh, so you can pretty much solve every problem if you throw enough money at it. But uh, say, for instance, there's outfalls in small country towns that uh, sometimes the sewage and the and the water would get mixed in the stormwater, and in other places they don't. It primarily, it's a historical. Depends on the history of the place and how it's been developed. And normally, if you think fifty years ago, nobody hardly hardly anybody went out at a lot of these places, so the money wasn't spent to separate the two or to pull them or to store them or whatever. It mm. was just the easiest way to get rid of it is out in the ocean. Mm. John, would we be including in this in this definition of outfall something that you know, people might be familiar with, like? 
down at St Kilda or Elwood where we have the, the outfall there at Elwood Beach. Well, is that an outf- outfall in your no, definition? Well, no, it's not from a, from a domestic sewer outfall point of view because basically all the, the treated sewerage from Melbourne goes uh, out at Werribee. Yep. And it also goes out uh, at uh, Bogues Rocks, which is just the back beaches near Gunnamatta. So they're the two two key domestic sewer outfalls. There might be, uh, I'm not aware of it yet because we haven't got into that stage, but bypass where the bypass is if there's a failure in the system, which there was about seven, there was quite a few about seven or eight years ago, but there has been some upgrades around the the Port Phillip area, Port Phillip Bay area, so I'm not sure whether or not those ones are discharged in that area or not. Okay. Now, one thing um, I didn't do at the beginning was to um, talk about clean ocean specifically and, and why the issue of outfalls has been such an, an issue for um, an issue of concern for clean ocean. Maybe for our listeners who maybe have heard of clean ocean, maybe seen stickers on the backs of cars, not quite sure who you are. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us a little bit about clean ocean and what you do? Yep, sure. Well, we'll, we'll I, the main spur or impetus for it was uh, the, uh, the there's an outfall at uh, Gunnamatta Beach, which uh, is uh, very very big population of surfers often use that beach uh, and there's a number of spots there and prior you know about I think the early 70s the about 50 percent of Melbourne's sewerage was treated to some degree and then went out to sea around Gunnamatta. And, and what was that percentage again? Uh, about about 50 percent. In the early 70s half? Yeah. yeah wow. Yeah yeah so it was it was primarily a big issue and uh Obviously, once again, it's a question of they design a plant for a certain amount of population. Uh, and as time goes by, generally, that plant struggles to keep up with demand, so to speak. And so, therefore, what was happening is surfers were getting sick in certain conditions. And so, primarily, Clean Ocean was established to lobby government and state government to upgrade that plant. And in 2007, they announced that they were going to upgrade that plant. So, that was primarily a, a seven-year battle of clean ocean to convince the authorities to do something about that area. And now the water there is is overall in pretty good quality, very good quality in comparison with a lot of outfalls around Australia. And, and are the surfers finding a difference with that too in terms mm. of not getting... Yeah, excellent. Yes. That's really good. Yeah. Um, let's go to the database. Mm. So um, I mentioned at the beginning this was something we, we mentioned on the show. I can't remember whether it was you. I don't think it was you, John. Maybe. Anyway, no, it doesn't matter. Yeah, no, that's all right. <laughs> yeah. oh, look, it's been, it's been a sort of a pet... Thing that we've been passionate about because it's it, it's a really big picture issue because uh, all the outfalls around Australia and whatever we do with our sewage, a lot of a lot of the impact actually does affect the ocean in some way, shape, or form. Mm. For instance, the the one in Gunnamatta that we talked about, it's still fresh water going out into an environment that's a salt that was a marine saltwater area. So over thousands of years that always had salt water and now it has a huge slug of fresh water now there's issues like that all around australia so uh one of the one of the impetus is the impact on the water also the what's going on going out in the water which is depending on where it is can be lots of nitrogen and phosphates being lost that we could be using as fertilizer or recycling etc puts a stress on a marine environment uh and on top of that there's the loss of the water itself so Mm -hmm. at the moment um we might be... The eastern states have been in a drought now for about 12 months. It hasn't affected the dam levels that much, but long-term we need to save every ounce of water and one of the things that this this outfall data does is it says how much water was potentially there that we could actually capture or recycle around Australia. Yeah, let's go to some of the figures because they're quite alarming. 
Do you know them off the top of your head? I've got them in front of me. I can make, I'll, I'll try and I'll try and remember. No, <laughs> I can the, just the read one them that, if you like. The one that sticks out for me is the um, the the total volume of of water discharged to sea around Australia, which is uh, thirteen hundred and eighty gigalitres. <laughs> That's a lot of water. It's a huge amount. It's what, a, what's that in Sydney harbours? Oh, it seems to be the unit of measurement for water. MCGs, Olympic pool, MCGs, Victoria Park. So I did. I I I calculated all this down, but I think it's something like um, we say say that for everyone in Australia, it's it's two two bathtubs of sewage, uh, or or treated treated effluent uh, every every day. That's amazing. Every single day. day. Yeah. So it's um. It's it's a lot of water and it's sort of like if you think about that, that's something that we could be doing something with. So it's just valuing the ocean and its impact on the ocean as opposed to what we could do with it on land. Yeah, that's right. Well, it's valuing both, isn't it, really? Mm-hmm. So two bathtubs of effluent for every Australian every day and there are 274 outfalls on the Australian shoreline, 149 of those discharge into coastal waters and 125 into estuarine environments. I did have a look on your website last night. It was um, It's amazing to see them dotted around mm. the Australian coastline and particularly concentrated up the east coast and there's mm. this big gap, as you might expect, from Adelaide sort of all the way through to Perth, mm-hmm. um, but amazing. Well, it's also amazing too that I think one of the biggest things that struck us is that it's so we've got this common common coastline all around Australia and yet we have so many different instrumentalities that are responsible for water mm. uh, and all the instrumentalities do the best with the resources that they have. But there's no way that the community can get a bit of a handle on, okay, how are they going in comparison with each other? Um, where do we need to spend more money? And it's, and it's that kind of transparency. There's an old statement that, you know, um, uh, sunlight or, or, or transparency is the best disinfectant. And when you're talking about sewage treatment and, and basically what's going on around our coastline, uh, the best thing we believe is to get get an understanding of that in the in the general community which is not not really there because people don't think about really what goes on after they sit down on the toilet and flush it away a lot of the time no that's so right. hmm, yeah the same thing with um putting rubbish into a bin it, it just vanishes you know the nice truck comes and takes it away and they don't have to worry about it anymore so yep. same yep. basic mentality um just a, a bit closer to home some victorian figures here so um 17 outfalls in victoria um total volume in megalitres 322,693 megalitres that's per year, mm. presumably, mm, yeah. um, with a nitrogen load of nearly 4,000 tonnes and a phosphorus load of nearly 3,000 tonnes. Yep. So, yeah, good to have those figures in front. I mean, you can really only start to bring about change by actually knowing what you're dealing with. Mm-hmm. And, and it's interesting, I was talking to a researcher one stage and he was saying that somebody is talking much the same as a carbon bank. There is actually, like, they think that eventually they might run out of, say, for instance, phosphorus, which is a fertiliser. Um, we shipped it from another countries like Nauru, et cetera, et cetera. And Here it is. We're just creating our see own. See, it's going out to sea. Yeah. And, and, it, and apparently it would be profitable to actually store it oh. eventually. But wow. nobody's got the long-term investment on that area. So what are you hoping to do with all this information, John? Uh, well, Where the, to next? Yeah, the next step is to get uh, one more one more round uh, and then we put a, we'll put a paper out to try and get some input uh, from both the water authorities and also the public on how we could be doing it better. Uh, and then we want to start to get some rankings going, actually sort of comparing, comparing sites. We're also interested in hopefully getting more data as far as bypass events in Australia uh, and, and trying to standardise, actually, what, what water authorities are reporting because it's 
to actually to try and pull that data and actually standardise it so people can actually take, get a take-home message. Very hard. Very yeah, hard to and do. you've got the complexities of dealing with different tiers of government as well. Yep, yep, and it's a bridge-building exercise because Clean Ocean Foundation was um, initially primarily a, a protest movement and now we're trying to sort of look at the big picture and, and contribute. So, of course, there's a degree of trepidation on the Water Authority's part. Oh, what are you going to use this information for? Uh, and really what we're doing... Fortunately, we're actually working with the Marine Biodiversity Hub, which is a science scientific organisation, so there has to be kind of a standard of, of academic rigour in what we're doing mm. and we have to be able to back up whatever we say and do. So it, it, it puts it on a footing which we can make hopefully some evidence-based decisions in the future on water policy in Australia. Excellent. John, is the Clean Ocean Foundation getting support from any of the financial support to do all this or is this based on volunteer work? Yep. Um, it's a fantastic work that you're doing, but I'm, I'm just wondering yep. of the costs of this. Oh, uh, the costs... Yeah, look, we, we actually got some funding from the federal government for it. Uh, and that runs for about two or three years, and then that cuts out. But as I said to you, that's specifically for the for the for the outfalls themselves. We'd like to do the stormwater drains, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, but we don't have funding for that, so we're always more than keen for any support we can get from the general public. Or if there's a multi-millionaire listening to Triple R in the morning <laughs> that wants to give me a ring, they're more than welcome. Well, I think George Clooney streams this, and he's made a lot of money this week. <laughs> so, so, George, if you're listening, Clean Ocean foundation.org is the place to go and donate a lot of money. Uh, and, John, a couple of quick questions just to finish. You've got an online survey you're looking for volunteers to take part in. Can yes. you give us an yep, opportunity you, for a plug here? Yep, yep, thank you. Cleanocean.org. Uh, go to there or you can go to nod.org.au uh, and it's clear that's a recreational users water survey so if you've been anywhere near an outfall in the last 12 months or even if you just want to drop us a line you can log on to that uh, survey, click on that survey, it's only five or six questions uh, and we'll start to build a bit of an understanding of how people are using the water and what they're seeing as they're, as they're out in the water. Yep and if you don't know whether you have been at an outfall that's the beauty of this map because it's got every single one of them um, Highlighted, and yep. then you can click on the click on the little highlight bits, and it brings up all sorts of information about that particular outfall too. So it's excellent. Nod.org.au, N-O-D, National Ocean National Oceans Database. Thank you, Outfalls <laughs> Database, National Outfalls Database. John, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. Thanks again for coming in all the way from Bass Coast. Thank you. And um, we'll catch up with you again. Okay. Yeah. Beautiful. Excellent. Thanks for your time. We've been speaking with John Gemmell, CEO of the uh, Clean Ocean Foundation. On this program. Um, we have talked many times about the pollution in the ocean and in particular we've become concerned of late especially about balloons and balloons are in fact amongst the top three items which are contributing to marine pollution. Um, the tyres on them, the strings, people release them into the air for all sorts of reasons mm. and you see them floating around and it's, it's of concern. We are joined in the studio today by Ben Sanders, who is from the zoo. He is the campaigns manager, and Ben is going to talk us through this very wonderful campaign which they have got going to ban balloons. Hi, Ben. How are you going? Good morning. Thank you for having me. It's a great pleasure, and thank you very much for coming in to talk to us about this. What is this campaign? I'd like you to walk through what it's about. So uh, our, our campaign is called When Balloons Fly, Seabirds Die. It's uh, pretty grim, but it's, it's to the point. Um, you know, it pretty much spells out exactly what's happening. Uh, and particularly on uh, Lord Howe Island. So we were first triggered to this issue and first triggered to the extent of the problem 
I mean, we've known that, as you guys said before, you've been talking about this for a long time, but we didn't realise how extreme this problem was until we visited Lord Howe Island two years ago. Um, we met a population of flesh-footed shearwaters there, and they're the best described case of a, of a species in decline, primarily due to plastic ingestion. Mm. Um, and the really interesting thing about th- that population of seabirds, so the parent birds are, are going out into the ocean, they're bringing back bits of plastic and feeding those, those baby chicks plastic. Some of those uh, baby birds never get to leave the nest. One of the most identifiable items, one of the top two being found within those baby birds are balloon clips. Uh, the clips attached to balloons when they are released um, and bottle tops are the other one. Mm. Um, and for us, we were, we, we were amazed by this. How does no one know about this? Balloons are continuously released every single day. We do it with alacrity. We, uh, it, it, we let them off and we celebrate, commemorate all sorts of things. And they're just gone. They disappear. Yep. But of course, they don't disappear. That's do right. And I was listening to your last to your to, the, to your last interview and about how you know waste that goes into the bin just goes away and disappears. And I was mm-hmm. thinking it's exactly the same with balloons. People think that they disappear and that you know they're never seen again. And and we never have to worry about them. Yeah, there's no magic fairy in the sky with a magic wand that kind of just you know casts a spell on them and they just vanish. They don't. They come down. And and these little clips that you're talking about, they're similar to the um, clips on bread bags, aren't they? Yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah. So there's the clips and then there's the balloon itself, the rubber balloon. And animals will try to ingest that balloon as well, too, that's won't right. they, in yeah. addition to the clips. And and we've seen cases... Uh, so we work closely with Jennifer Lavers, who uh, with the, is at the University of Tasmania um, and leads a lot of this work on Lord Howe Island and beyond. Uh, and, and she's got case studies there where she's opened up uh, shearwaters in particular and it's taken one balloon. Um, so it's not necessarily just the clip, one balloon, and it's killed that bird. Um, so it's the balloons, it's the attachment, um, it's the clip, but it's also the string That's as well. That's right. It's the ribbon. So uh, we... Uh, we're working really closely. In fact, it's a full partnership on this campaign with Phillip Island Nature Parks. The day before we launched our campaign on Feb 22nd this year, there was a seal that was found that was entangled with a balloon ribbon right around its neck. So it's not just seabirds. It's it's not just seabirds and it's not just animals on Lord Howe Island. It's animals locally as well that are being affected by these balloons. So this campaign, who have you got on board so far? You've got a, a, well, there's a lot of schools, yep. I noticed, um, and... How's the traction of it? Um, oh, it? It's it's going really well because I think that it's one of these issues where, like you say, uh, balloons are... CSIRO mentioned last year, came out last year, b- mentioning balloons as the top three most dangerous items for wildlife. People know about plastic bags. People know about fishing line. People don't think about balloons. And so for us... This campaign is, is getting great traction because people are just... It's, it's so simple. People are just saying, oh, wow, I had no idea. That's a really easy one for us to be able to switch away from and make a big difference. So um, we've got a, lo- a lot of local institutions. So at local groups like Sustainability Victoria, we've got the Port Phillip Eco Centre who have shown us a lot of support um, on that one. Uh, beach patrol groups have been fantastic. Um, so we work... Uh, we got contacted just recently by... Uh, Beach Patrol Port Melbourne, who had done a study. I don't know whether you, knew, whether you heard about their study about where they studied 35 metres of coastline every single day along the tide line. They picked up exactly what sort of waste was rocking up on that 35 metres of beach for one year. Mm. Um, it was, it's amazing what they found. Um, 700 pieces of balloon-related waste mm. over, over one year, over 35 metres of beach. Um, and so they've done the sums to work out 
what that means for the bay. And it's more than 2 million pieces of balloon waste in one year. Um, and then who knows what else for the rest of the coastline. So now it's often, definitely a local issue. Now, often these balloons get released. We were talking about why. They're usually there's some kind of significance to them. It's a celebration of something or a commemoration of something. And I guess that's that's sort of where this campaign is leading to sort of try and effect some positive change. It's not saying that don't go and celebrate or commemorate. Um, you know, when you think about people releasing balloons, the, the AFL Grand Final is a big one um, that you, you kind of see it all the time. Won't be happening at Community Cup today, make that very clear. But, um, but also, obviously, funerals, um, at memorial services, you know, it's usually at the opening of something or the commemorating of someone passing. There is an alternative, isn't there, Ben? Yes, there is. So our primary alternative that we... There are actually a number of alternatives, but our primary alternative that we're going out with, because we know they are so much more fun than balloons anyway, is bubbles. So we're asking people to switch to bubbles rather than balloons at their outdoor events. And in my hand at the moment, in my hot little hand, I have a bubbles for seabirds with a penguin on there and it looks fantastic. Ages three plus. That includes us, Bron. We can use this. We can use this at the Community Cup. (laughs) Nerida wants me to open it now and get bubbles going in the studio. <laughs> I'll let you do that, Nerida. You go for it. What, so, Bron just mentioned grand final. Yes, of course. Duh. So, any chance of getting it banned from the grand final this year? Uh, grand final doesn't actually release balloons oh, anymore. Oh, do they? Yep. So, they're, so they're, I mean, essentially, we've, we've asked the MCG. We've contacted the MCG. So, if anyone's listening that's got good, good contacts there, we'd love to have them on board. How did I miss that? Must have been a. It was. It's. It's only been a two years. Okay, I believe. Right. Well, Essendon have been in the grand been 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 yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So you haven't been watching. Yeah. Because yeah, and I think Bron, you make a really good point. It's about um, you know, with. Uh, the commemoration of events with funerals it's a very sensitive time to yeah. be talking yep, about indeed. this and, and so regulation legislation doesn't necessarily work in that case mm-hmm. and so what we want this campaign to be is uh, is something that can help with that regulation legislation as an educational intervention, it's something that helps people to understand why uh, balloons are unnecessary Yeah, but releasing balloons is unnecessary and that it, that it actually has a much bigger uh, result or impact than people think. And at a, at a very basic level too, it's littering. And like it or not, you know, just because the, the item in question isn't dropped onto the ground, it's released into the air. That is the weird thing, isn't it? You can get fined for littering, but as far as I'm aware, correct me if I'm wrong, you can't get fined for releasing a balloon. No. So if you see somebody releasing a whole lot of balloons, there's actually no point complaining to anybody about it because no. nothing can be done. I mean, all you can do is have a gentle conversation with them and as nice as you can and say, have you thought of alternatives? Here's some bubbles that I happen to have in my pocket. <laughs> bubbles for seabirds. <laughs> you mentioned to me before, um, Ben, that there are schools who are now using the bubbles that you've, you've handed them out to them and what yeah. the schools that are on the campaign with you. So so one of the, the things that really surprised me when we started to research this campaign was the number of schools that actually take part in balloon releases, which I didn't realise. And I guess that really spells out to me the, the fact that it's it's not anyone trying to do anything of harm. It's just that people don't know. You know, schools, right. school children don't want to be harming the environment. Um, so for graduations, for um, special events, we had a, a, a beautiful story the other day. Uh, a school sent us through an email with a whole heap of photos. Every year this school had done uh, a balloon release to, to commemorate uh, or to celebrate Autism Awareness Day. Um, and this year they all got together and they all blew bubbles and it was incredibly cute um, and, and something so simple and hopefully more fun. That's right, more active. Yes. You've got to you know, use your lungs <laughs> get those bubbles. <laughs> where, where, where to next for this? Uh, so for us it's about 
I mean, it, we only launched in Feb and, and we realised that for us to have a true impact, we're going to need a whole bunch. It's going to take much more than just us and it's going to take more than just Victoria. We're going to have to try and spread our impact, this social movement right across Australia. So for us, we're, we're wanting as I've alluded to, as many different groups as we can showing their support for this um, because, you know, we can't do it alone. Um, so, so as many different groups, so if you head to zoo.org.au slash balloons, um, there's our supporter page. And basically any school, any we've got local councils that have come on board. I think we've got about 15 now um, within Victoria. Um, events, businesses, anyone who wants to show their public promise that they are, are not going to use balloons outdoors can come on and join us. And we'll give them educational materials that they can use to help us you know, promote the campaign and get it out there more broadly. My first thought or my, my, my desire is to have them banned and have people find who, who release them, but you can't do that. I mean, that, that's... I, I can't no, imagine that happening. No, and, and I it, think... It is much nicer and gentler because of the reasons we've talked about before, the sensitive issues around why people release balloons yes. often. It's, <laughs> and it's partnerships. The awareness thing. Partnerships are always going to be more effective and successful in the long term. Yep. And I think that I think it's it's a multi it takes multi pronged approach, you know. Like so, regulation legislation can work, but I think it needs to be coupled with some really effective education, and hopefully that's what this campaign can provide. Brilliant, Ben Sanders. Thank you very much for coming in from the zoo to talk to us about your balloon smart campaign. And if people want to find out any more about this, they can go to zoo.org.au backslash balloons. Ben Sanders, thank you very much again. Thanks for, for having in. me. Thank you. Hey, good morning, Terry Allen. Good morning, Brian. Good morning, Dr. Beach. Hi, Terry. How are you going? You've just been in the Philippines, haven't you? Yes, I have. Uh, yeah, it's a bit hard coming back here. We had uh, beautiful 30-degree water and uh, beautiful weather, of course. But, uh, yeah, lots of beautiful critters as well. So, uh, yeah, very, very nice. Where That's in the Philippines place. were you? Uh, we were in a place called Dermagete. Um, if anyone knows Cebu, that's sort of a fairly common uh, island area that people know. So we were in the south uh, southeast area at the bottom of uh, Oriental Negra. Um, so it's a fantastic area for muck diving, uh, which is where you see amazing critters on sand and mud and rubble. Uh, lots of uh, seahorse and lots of frogfish and ghost pipefish and, yeah, very, very photogenic uh, critters. So, what did you call yeah. it? Muck diving or mud diving? Muck. Muck. As in, yeah, yeah, diving in the mud and muck and all that. Yeah, yeah, and sometimes, unfortunately, rubbish, but um, it's not too bad there. They 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 do a great job of trying to keep things clean, and uh, yeah, so muck diving. It's been a, it's sort of a newish uh, style where you're just basically out on a sandy rubble area, and then you see all these amazing, uh, amazing marine life. So, yeah. What was the highlight of the trip for you, Terry? Uh, I've seen you post some spectacular photos uh, on on Facebook and social media, and we, if if I'm sure you're okay, if we put some of those on our Facebook page. We've been a bit, um, uh, uh, yes, we will do that. Um, yeah. <laughs> what were you going to say? We've been a bit slack on the well, socials. Well, we have been a bit slack on the socials, but we'll, we'll pick up our act with that. But we'll definitely um, put some of your images on there because they've been amazing. What did you? Anything in particular? Was it a bit like bingo? Were there some things that you really wanted to um, see that you were looking for? Yeah, look, I mean, I saw two or three nudies I've never seen before, but, you know, there's thousands of nudies, which, you know, that's always amazing. I think for me, things like... You are talking about nudie branks, the (laughs) the, the, the mollusks, aren't you? (laughs) Um, I think things like the commensal shrimp, um, 
But every crinoid, you know, every coloured crinoid, yellow, white, red, black, each has its own sort of shrimp that lives in it. And they're only about a centimetre long. The guides are fantastic. They managed to find these things. They managed to sort of coax them into a nice position gently for us to take photos. And you, you can barely see them until you take a photo and they go, wow, you know, how did that... How did evolution produce such an amazing symbiotic relationship? It's... Uh, that was really mind-blowing, I have to say. And crinoids are like upside-down starfish, aren't they? We call them feather stars, right. so, they're, so they're in the echinoderms. Yeah, feather stars. Yeah, yeah, and, and people may have seen... You see nice little videos of them, they actually swim. You can see them, you know, with their arms. Uh, they, can, they can actually move around. So, uh, and there was a lot of them there. The other great thing uh, at Dermageddy is across the way there's an Apo Island, and it's a small community, about 1,000 people live on this quite small island. And they've actually developed a community um, sanctuary and so they've set up um, because their fish stocks across are being depleted and a beautiful reef there now, uh, heaps and heaps of turtles um, and a big, big giant school of uh, big-eyed uh, trevally. Um, and so they're protected. They don't let them they say we're not going to fish for those. They have a marine sanctuary about half the island. They can still do some fishing, but it's really worked well. And it was fantastic to hear about this uh, community uh, set up. And you were there just for a jolly? You were, or it was over there for a conference or something else? And you thought you'd go for a dive or it was on a... Um no, recreation just for a holiday, holiday. <laughs> you lucky girl we've got a couple of minutes left terry i'm just wondering whether we might um you know bring our bring all of us back to a thud of melbourne winter so going from beautiful tropical diving in the philippines and would you go back by the way before we move away from philippines oh definitely well i've actually been there two two years in a row now so we're going to an area next year which is right out in the middle of the sulu sea uh and it's very limited the number of boats that can go there in limited time and we're hoping this time to see big stuff so that's very very exciting great uh, it's called Tubata. so locally yeah i think the bay is now at about 13 degrees um but still some nice conditions uh the day i left for my holiday the uh spider crabs arrived in blair gary uh, i've now got back two weeks later and they're all gone apparently so <laughs> um, but you do but get to I, see them I earlier because they came yeah, early didn't they they came in march that's right. There, there was a few that came in March, and they kind of then disappeared. And then, but the big aggregation occurred at Blair Gary a couple of weeks ago. Um, so lots of people got to see them, which was really good. Um, and uh, then, of course, we've had our Ray Awareness Program, which I just—I know you've been—I think you've been talking to PT a couple of weeks ago. Um, but there's a big petition up now. Uh, Vic, uh, Vic Fisheries uh, have, uh, have got comments on their uh, website. Um, I don't know if you've talked about this already, but. It's really important if people um, want to have their say about the proposal. They want to ban the taking of rays off piers and reduce the bag limit uh, and a number of other things. So, fantastic. We've had great support with people signing petitions, but we now need people to go in, make comments and email and say how important this is for our, for our beautiful big rays and banjo sharks in the bay. Excellent. We've already put a link to um, to raise awareness on our Facebook page. Um, I'm not going to be able to do anything today because I'm about to head off to Victoria Park, but um, I will do that in the days ahead. Hey, Terry, thanks so much for joining us and welcome back and we look forward to having you in the studio in the next few weeks. No worries, Bron, and uh, go the multi megahertz. Yes. <laughs> thanks, <laughs> go Terry. The megahertz. <laughs> thanks, Terry. Okay. See you. See Bye-bye. you. Bye for now.
Terry Allen there, our dive reporter, and that brings us to the end of our program. Thank you to our guest today, Ben Sanders from Zoos Victoria, John Gemmell from Clean Ocean Foundation. Oh, Dr Surf, did manage to catch up with him briefly. He said the surf's been fantastic. He's absolutely exhausted, but he's going out again today. Good on him. Yep, had a bit of a mix-up with the phone numbers. So perfect two weeks, he said. It's been fantastic. Thanks, Dr Beach. A pleasure. And uh, next week, Anthony and John are going to be in studio. And uh, look, Community Cup... What can we say? Victoria Except Park. Get that. Victoria it's Park. not at Elston it. Week. It's not at Elston Week. It's at <laughs> Victoria Park, home of the Magpies. Oh, I can't bear my spare to say that. Anyway, I've said it. But today, today it's not. Today it's home of the Megahertz and the Rock Dogs. And um, we look forward to seeing you down there. Come and say g'day. This has been a podcast oh. from 3 R 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly oh. independent community radio. Want to hear more? Check out our website at rrr.org.au.